welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. If you'd like to connect with us or browse resources, please go to kingroad.ca and click New Here. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. Psalm 136 is the psalm that we will be in. Um, Our family has always enjoyed music, and we've always thought it was important to have our kids learn music. So all of them have taken music lessons, three of them through piano, one of them through violin. And if you've been uh, a parent of of kids, or maybe you yourself have gone through music lessons, you know the hard work that needs to go into to to improve your skills, to get to a place where you're worth listening to, (laughs) to a place where your music is actually a blessing to those around you. Um, and, and that's the way it is with kids, and it's, and it's fun uh, helping them go through it. Um, and often as they're going through their lessons, as they progress through the years, they get through, and they want to go to places where they're playing in festivals or they're doing examinations. And especially if you're going through the Royal Conservatory program, you have to go through all the examinations as you do that. So um, one time I remember, uh, I think it was Isabel's first examination. We were still living in Squamish at the time, and her teacher there uh, was a young teacher, but was, but was very, a very good piano player and was, was training her for the exam and had one song that she was playing. And for months and months, she played one song over and over and, and over, and then again, over and over and over. And and the repetition to the point that I said to Carla, is she going to learn a different song? Or is there is there one song this year? And is Carla's, it's for the exam. It's for the exam. And sure enough, when it was time for her to do the exam, she passed it with flying colors to the point that she got um, a 93% with high honors. Which in, in Royal Conservatory world, um, what other people had told me was this is almost unheard of. Such, such a good score. So the result of the repetition was being able to know it so well that she could play it almost flawlessly when it counted. The psalm that we're looking at today reminds me of that because as we go through this psalm, we will see Repeated over and over, 26 times, the phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's 26 verses, and the second phrase in each verse is, for his steadfast love endures forever. And I think it's good that God does this in his word, that he gives us this type of repetition, because it helps us. It helps us so that when we get to those times in life, when we are going through difficulties, when we're going through the trials and the tribulations and the the illnesses and the hardships, that we remember his steadfast love endures forever. So as we go through it this morning, we're going to see the psalmist remind us of God's steadfast love over and over. But in it, he also mixed in Reminders of God's goodness, his rule and reign over everything, his salvation and his faithfulness. And all of these things are necessary. Necessary for us to know and to remember so that when those difficulties come, 
we can stand firm on the foundation of Christ, knowing his steadfast covenant love endures forever. So the big idea for today, we must praise God for his eternally enduring covenant love for us. We must praise God for his eternally enduring covenant love for us. There's actually four points to today's sermon. Number one, Yahweh's goodness calls us to praise Number two, Yahweh's reign over creation calls us to praise. Number three, Yahweh's salvation calls us to praise. And Yahweh's faithfulness calls us to praise. So point one, Yahweh's goodness calls us to praise. I'm not going to read through the whole psalm at once, but I'm I'm going to read through it as I preach it. Um, But as it comes on the screen, when each verse comes up, I'm going to say the first phrase, And then in unison, I'd like the congregation to reply with, for his steadfast love endures forever. It will be on the screen, but I want you guys to do that with me this morning so that hopefully as we repeat this, we are solidifying in our hearts and minds what the Lord intends for us, to know that his steadfast love endures forever. So verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Notice in this verse, LORD, it's in all caps. That means this is God's name that he has revealed himself as, his personal name, Yahweh. The name that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. The name that he uses when he created his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. This is his personal holy name, Yahweh. So the author of this psalm immediately wants his readers to know that we're not just talking about some god out there in the plethora of gods that are available, that the other religions worship, that the other nations surrounding Israel worshiped. It's not any of those gods. This is Yahweh we're talking about. Yahweh alone is good, and his love endures forever. He is the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his goodness doesn't just rest in the fact that he does good things. He hasn't, he hasn't had to prove his goodness. He is goodness personified. The Lord is good. His goodness rests in his presence, in his personality, in his holiness. He is good. The definition of good. Charles Spurgeon wrote this about this verse. He said, essentially, he is goodness itself. Practically, all that he does is good. Relatively, he is good to his creatures. Let us thank him that we have seen, proved, and tasted that he is good. He is good beyond all others. Indeed, he is, he alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of all good, the good of all good, the sustainer of all good, the perfecter of all good, and the rewarder of good. For this, he deserves the constant gratitude of his people. So question for you, do you ever take time to just dwell on God's goodness? Do you ever take time in your personal time at home, whether it's in the morning at first when you get up and you open your Bible and you have a cup of coffee, or maybe at some point during the day when you just have a set time of prayer or you're laying in your bed in the quiet of the night, 
Do you ever just dwell on his goodness? Do you ever just praise him simply for his goodness? In his goodness, he is the Lord of lords and the God of gods. So verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. Just to cover all possible bases, the psalmist makes sure here that we know that this God, the true living God, Yahweh himself, is superior to all beings that could, that do exist and that could even possibly exist. He is superior to the angels. He is superior to the demons. He is superior to Satan. He's superior to the false gods. He's superior to the human lords. The rulers that we have over us in government or the rulers that they had over them, kings and princes, Yahweh is supreme over them all. And because our true and living God is good, he is the most mighty of all possible beings. We're commanded to give thanks to him just for who he is. So I've led a number of prayer meetings over the years. And often in those prayer meetings, um, I, will, I will start by going through the ACTS uh, method of prayer, so which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is requests. But you start with adoration, so just adoring God for who he is. And I'll, I'll open up the meeting and say, okay, people, just, just pray forth prayers of, of praise and adoration just for who he is, just for his characteristics. But almost immediately, the prayers will go to thanking him for what he's done. And I wonder if that reveals something about us and the focus of, of what we focus on. Do we, do we focus so much on what he does for us that we actually forget who he is? We forget his goodness, his holiness, his mercy, his grace, his, his goodness, his, his might, his power. His wrath, his, his gentleness, his long-suffering, his patience. All of the attributes of God. Because we, when we come to him in prayer, we should be able to just list off things over and over and over about who he is and praising him for those things. And doing it not just because it brings glory to him, but it also helps us to remember what his attributes are and how different he is as the holy, true, and living God. How different he is to anyone else that we know. So to apply this in your lives this week, I'd ask you to go home and try this. Try this with your family. Have a, when you sit down at the dinner table and you're about to pray, just have prayers of praise to God for who he is. Remember who he is, not for what he's done. You can get to that. Yes and amen. And the psalmist does get to that here in the next few verses. But first remember him and praise him just for who he is and dwell on that. Then acknowledge him for what he's done. So let's move on to verse 4 and to the second point. Yahweh's reign over creation calls us to praise so to him who alone does great wonders, 
To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, God alone has the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding to create creation and to know every intimate detail of creation and to sustain creation. God alone, Yahweh alone, is the one who can do this. And from the most creative person to the most powerful angel, nobody can match God because he is the creator. Any creative person who is able to make something, and you look at all the technological advances we've had and all of the beautiful artwork you've seen, the only reason that they're able to do that is because God, number one, has made him or her. God has then given him or her those gifts, and God has given him the tools to create whatever those things are. Anything that's made in heaven and on earth is because God originally is the creator. He is the only one who can merely speak and have everything come into existence. He is the only one who can measure the universe with the span of his hand. He is the only one who can measure how many drops of water are in the ocean. He's the only one who could place the earth at just the right distance from the sun so that we aren't constantly being barbecued. Think about the moon and the sun for a moment. You know when you look up in the sky, whether it's at night or during the day, or sometimes during the day, if it's a clear day, you'll see both at the same time. You'll see the moon over here and the sun over here. And you notice how they're kind of the same size in the sky, right? From our vantage point, and think about what the psalmist writes here, the two lights, right? One over the day, one over the night. That's what it looks like from Earth, that these are just two lights there for us. The same size, one for night, one for day. But what... In reality, what are they? They're, they're two very different sized objects. The sun is 400 times farther away from us than the moon is, and it's 400 times larger than the moon. Therefore, makes it look like they're the same size. But they aren't. The sun and the moon, here's what Encyclopedia Britannica, or Britannica.com, says about this. They write, the sun and the moon are about the same size when you look at them in the sky. Though that's just thanks to the coincidence that the sun is about 400 times farther away than the moon and also about 400 times bigger. The coincidence. Have you ever thought about, and there's an argument out there for God's existence and for the natural um, uh, or, or intelligent design of the universe, the, that, that argument for creation and the fine-tuning of the universe, how God has made things in such a way that they work together, that there's actually laws that govern things. There's laws that govern, like, the law of gravity or the law, first and second law of thermodynamics and how fast the earth is spinning, that it's not going so fast that it just flings us off and it's not going so slow that that the earth bakes us, or the sun just bakes us to death because we're in such direct light 
or in such direct, you know, view of its radiation and feeling it constantly. The fine-tuning of things, the, the, how our bodies work, the, the intricacy of our, of our cells working, and, and they break down. And, and like The fine-tuning of the universe is so detailed, and the amount of things that are detailed in such a way that to say that these things have come together by coincidence, this is why the universe keeps getting older, right? Like if you go back... 50, 60, 80 years, they're saying, oh, the universe is millions of years old or a million years old. Now it's in the billions and hundreds of billions of years old. Pretty soon we'll be in the trillions. Like when you get out that far, I mean, what's the difference anymore? But the the reason that they keep getting older and older and older and older is because they need more and more time in order to explain the amount of details that have come together. Or... There is a creator who spoke everything into existence and has a purpose for everything. Regarding the intricate details and functions of the universe, I once heard someone who worked for Boeing aircraft. It's a good day to talk about that, right? The air show? Someone who once worked for Boeing making 747 said, and he's a believer, and he said, you know, um, we could put all the parts for the Boeing 747 in the hangar on the ground and leave them there. And no matter what happened, no matter what wind came along or what earthquake happened, you could leave them for a billion years and that aircraft would never come together on its own, let alone come together and function on its own. From the largest Galaxy to the smallest molecule, God has created, designed, and he sustains all things and holds them in place. And for this truth, he deserves our praise. But also don't forget the why of it all. For his steadfast love endures forever. In other words, even before he made his covenant with Abraham, even before his covenant with Noah or with Adam, God was acting in light of his covenant love. He did everything out of his covenant love. God perfectly existing forever in eternity past. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect existence, perfect community, perfect love. But they wanted to, God wanted to share that love out with Somebody else. So he decides to make creation, to make us in his image, and to extend covenants to us, and to do everything. Everything he does is out of his covenant love for us. As you think about that, isn't that, isn't that incredible? Like, like when you pray for something to happen, like you're, you're applying for a job and you're just praying, Lord, give me that job. And he gives it to you. Yeah, great. God loves me. Yes and amen to that. But so much more than that, that God, that of the evidence that God loves you. It's not just the things that he gives you that you ask for. God has shown his love for you in all of creation. And yet in that creation, he has also now worked out salvation for us. So Yahweh's salvation calls us to praise. Third point. 
Um, I've already substituted the word steadfast love for covenant love a couple of times. And here's why. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is chesed. Chesed, uh, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago or back in early July when I did Psalm 22. And this word chesed almost exclusively in scripture is used for God's covenant love for his people. So when you see in your English Bible steadfast love or covenant love, this is the word, his chesed. It's his, him, not just an emotion or a feeling. This is his acting out of that emotion and that feeling of love that he has for his people. So when we read through this psalm and we see steadfast love endures forever, we're seeing that God is always working with his chesed in mind, with his covenant people in mind. And how did he show his covenant love to Israel? Well, one of the biggest ways is through saving them from slavery in Egypt, which we see in the next seven verses. So verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through in the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. You see how the psalmist describes how God deserves praise for what he did in saving Israel from Egypt. At the beginning there, he mentions the plagues. He talks about how he struck down the firstborn of Egypt, which was the last plague, but it essentially only mentions that one because that's the biggest one. But all the plagues that came before that are wrapped up in that. And then he mentions the Red Sea and how the Israelites survived, but Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed and how God stayed with them through all the years in the desert as they wandered. But why did God care so much about them? Why? Because if you know the story of Exodus and you read through it, you see all of the griping they did and all of the complaining they did, all of the doubts they had. Even in the midst of the plagues, sometimes they were just like, oh, like what is this... God done to us. Moses, leave us. We were better off without you. Then they get into the desert. Oh, it would be better if we were back in slavery in Egypt because there we could, we could at least eat, even though God was providing for them greatly in the wilderness. But you see, it's not, God didn't show this love to them and have, and save them because of anything that they did, but he did it because of his chesed. He had made a covenant with their first father, Abraham, in Genesis 15. And he promised that he would send all the people into captivity and that he would save them out of it. So Genesis 15, I'm going to read from verses 12 to 14. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So whenever uh, the Old Testament, you see this kind of darkness come, it's the presence of, it's a precursor to the presence of the Lord arriving. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain 
that your offspring, he didn't have any children at the time and he was already old, you, but your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And as you read through Exodus, you see that's exactly what happens. After that last plague, Pharaoh sends them off, and the people of Egypt are just giving them goods, saying, go away, leave us, take, all, take what I have, take my gold, take my treasures, whatever, just, just leave. Leave us in peace. So you can see that the Lord is acting out of his covenant love for them, even though they didn't deserve it. And the writer of this psalm continues in verse 17 with a recounting of what God did for them as they were about to enter the promised land, led by his chosen servant Joshua, whose name means our God saves. So verse 17, to him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Ammonites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. So as they move towards the promised land and as they enter it, God gave them victory over these wicked kings. These kings who had built up iniquity. Um, if you remember other verses where the Lord says, well, he's making that covenant with Abraham, he says, for the, the iniquity of the Amorites has not been built up yet. Which is why he's, he's having patience until they deserve his judgment. And so he gives them, the Israelites, victory as they're entering the land. As they go forth, uh, kings and armies fall that in no way should fall before an army like Israel's. But they do because God is with them and he's going before them. And it was in remembrance of all these actions that many of the Psalms were written. And they're written as praises to God, remembering all that Yahweh has done for them. And it leads them to sing these praises. So when you think about our own lives, so for those of us who have been Christians many lives, or maybe some of us have only been Christians a couple of years, and you can think about all of the things that God has saved you from, all the ways that he's protected you through the years. Do you ever get to a place where you, where you have something in your house that reminds you of that? So when you see that thing, you're like, that, yes, that thing reminds me of when God saved me from this. Or that picture, or that, when I read my Bible, that psalm reminds me, because I see a little note there, of when God answered this prayer, of God's faithfulness to you. Do you have things that remind you of God's faithfulness in your past? If you don't, I recommend that you write notes down. Write down your testimony. Share times of faith where God has been faithful to you. Share those times. Recount those with your kids. So that as they grow, as they're going through hard times, they can go, I remember what dad said about this time when, dad, when God did this for him. I remember when mom said this thing. I remember what, what God did for grandma and grandpa. 
Share these things with your family so that they can know and they can be built up. And remember that even for them, God's steadfast love endures forever. And now from our vantage point, all of these actions that we see, God's work of salvation in Israel, but also for us, from where we are, we can look back and see it through the lens of the cross. And we see what God has done for them and what God has done for us through the cross and through Christ's life, death, and resurrection and how this is God's ultimate way of showing his steadfast love for us. God was faithful to his covenant through the years of Israel, through the the years of the kings, through the years of the exile, through the years of the prophets, and then ultimately culminating in his or in the incarnation, in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promise to return of Jesus. So Yahweh's faithfulness calls us to praise, starting in verse 23. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. You see that God's faithfulness is extended from that first covenant with Abraham through Moses, through David, and now extends to all who will have, who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus through the spread of the gospel by the Holy Spirit, through his emissaries, through his messengers around the globe, this new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. And every one of us who he saved, every one of us who he has touched our hearts and he has given us hearts of flesh now, hearts that care about him and his things rather than hearts of stone that are rebellious to him. Every one of us who knows what God has done for us in our lives. We were in that lowest state. We were in that place of not deserving his love, just like the Israelites who rebelled against him in the wilderness. We were in that state, having rebelled against him in thought, in word, in deed, in so many different ways. You can think about your own life and remember all of the ways, all of the ways, maybe from as recently as this morning, as you were getting ready for church, you can remember the ways that you have sinned against God, and you can see the lowest state that you are in without Jesus. And yet he remembered us in our lowest state because of his steadfast love. We were lost in our sin without hope. The foes of Satan, sin, and death had us in their clutches. You, you might think of, uh, of an old TV show or maybe a movie that you've seen where the good guy is trapped and he's the, the guy who's supposed to be the hero is caught. And it seems like the bad guy's going to win. I automatically think of the old Batman TV series, the one from like the 60s and 70s. And, and Batman would always get caught, right? He'd always get caught by the Riddler or the Riddler or the Joker or the Penguin, and they would all be laughing. <laughs> You're finished, Batman. And then the narrator would come on, come on and go, how is Batman going to escape this one? It seems it's certain his doom. Let's find out after this commercial break. And then automatically come back and either, and Batman would have some thing in his utility belt that would automatically cut the cords or do something to free them from this machine that they're trapped in. But newsflash, boys and girls, um, life isn't like that. 
We don't have utility belts that get us out of these hard things. We don't have a way of getting out of the sin and the trap that sin has placed us in. We have no way out on our own. We're stuck. We need God to remember us according to his unfailing, covenant, steadfast love. And to act out of that love and to free us from it. We need him to reach down, pick us up, cleanse us, forgive us, and set us free. Then in these last two verses, the author brings it back around to where he was at the beginning, remembering God as creator and sustainer of life. So verse 25, he who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, God is a gracious provider to everybody, even those who are rebellious against him, even to those who don't believe in him and flat out reject him. They realize his grace daily through the provision of food, water, with their bodies continuing to function as they should. This is God's common grace. God provides that for everyone. But how much more gracious is he to those who have heard his gospel and believed in him? Listen, I know We've talked about already a couple of families that are going through hard things in our church. And I know that there's more. I know that there's some families who are going through hard things that have been going on for a decade or maybe even more than that, maybe even decades. And I know that we need this word today. We need this word today, not necessarily because we're racked with guilt and, and, and buried in sin and shame, although that might be the case for some of us, but because we're hurting. Because we're feeling the weight of the world and the brokenness of the world on our lives right now, and we're longing for that day when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And we're longing for, to, to realize the new creation in every way so that cancer doesn't take us anymore, so that there are no miscarriages anymore. We're longing for that day. And this psalm reminds us that as we're going through all of these things, that God is here with us now, that we don't have to wait for that day for him to be with us or to know his grace. We can know it now. And we can stand on his truth and, the good, and his goodness and his power and his might and his grace and his compassion and kindness we can stand on that now, even through the hard times, and know that he's with us, because he promises he is. We can look at all the ways that he was with Israel. We can look at all the other times in our lives or, that we've gone through hard things or what our ancestors have gone through, and we can see, yes, and, and we can say amen to the fact that God is with us. So as we go through these hard times, we need to remember and stand on the truth of this psalm. God is there with you. He is steadfast. 
and his covenant love for you endures forever. So lean on him. Place all your cares on him and know that as the pains come and go, as the hard things come and go in this life, that God's steadfast love endures forever. You can know that. And then even in the hard times, praise him. Even through the tears, praise him. Knowing that he is with you and that he is good and that his grace on us is bringing us to a place to praise him with lightened hearts and joy through the difficulties. I'm going to close with this quote from Matthew Henry, uh, who has a very famous, well-known, almost 200-year-old commentary on the Bible. He wrote this, We are never so earnestly called upon to pray and repent as we are to give thanks. For it is the will of God that we should abound most in the most pleasant exercises of religion, in that which is the work of heaven. We pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning and your word. Lord, that you give us your word and that we can come and, and hear your word and have it dwell on our hearts and in our minds. Go through the repetition of saying something like, for his steadfast love endures forever. Lord, it's a gift for us and it's by your grace, your special grace on us that we know you that we can call you our friend, and that we can call you our Savior. Lord, I realize there might be some in this room this morning or watching or listening who are far from you, but Holy Spirit, you're doing a work on their hearts right now, calling them to a place of repentance. Lord, would you do that? Would you finish that work in them? Would they repent of their sins and believe in you fully and submit their lives to you so that they can have peace and joy? And again, Lord, for those who are suffering, we pray for your comfort. We thank you that the hard things of this world aren't the end, but that in the end you promise us that you have victory and that in you, we also have victory. And that in the end, you will wipe away every tear. And we will live with you forever in that new creation. So Father, as we look forward to that day, continue to be with us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, govern us by your covenant love. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us on social media at King Road Church. Have a great week.